have three panelists, Rose, uh, Rose Harriet, John Odipo, and James Karanja. So Andrew, you have the floor. Thank you, Modesta. What a pleasure to be a moderator in such exciting times. It's, it's quite interesting that uh, being online tools like this and, and, and being able to discuss the stuff that we do brings in more uh, people that never had a chance to see and to uh, get the feel of, uh, of what we do as scientists. And, and one of those people are actually my family. I hope some of you have your family uh, tuning in. You know, we, we leave them at home and we go out to work. And many a times we never get back home to talk about the stuff that we do. But uh, in these times with these online tools, I mean, they get to see and uh, I'm sure I pick up a few things of, of this, of the work that we do. Yeah, thanks Modesta, thanks for arranging this and uh, thanks to Alliance for Science for uh, preparing such uh, initiatives. It is indeed also our pleasure to uh, increase the awareness uh, about the biological uh, efforts, uh, uh, improving crop improving agricultural productivity in Africa and what sort of technologies we are using, why we are using them and, and the benefits that come out of using uh, these technologies. So Modesta, as you just said, uh, this time around we'll be talking about gene editing. Gene editing is a new tool uh, that is helping scientists improve characteristics of uh, different organisms uh, by being able to edit, to make sometimes small, sometimes big changes uh, in the genomes of those uh, organisms without having to introduce uh, genes or without having to introduce uh, genetic elements from other organisms. So it's unique in its ways, uh, quite different uh, in that aspect. Uh, from previous efforts, we have been using direct genetic engineering by transferring gene, genes across uh, kingdoms, for example. Uh, so today, we are on this webinar talking about how gene editing is being explored and being used in Africa uh, by uh, eminent scientists, three of whom we have uh, hosted in this webinar. Uh, they will talk to us about how they are working on different, uh, different crops, cassava, maize, uh, sorghum, yam, banana, I hope, uh, to bring novel characteristics to these crops for the benefit of African farmers and African development. And uh, today we have James. James Karanja is from the Kenyan Agricultural research, agricultural and livestock research organization. We have John Odipio. John Odipio is from the National Agricultural Research Organization of Uganda. And we have Joe, uh, sorry, Rose Harriet Okech. Rose is from IITA, which is the International Institute for Tropical Agriculture, and she's based in Nairobi, Kenya. And they will each uh, tell us about uh, their research and you know we will engage uh, with them in a, in a discussion. We have audience 
online on Twitter, we have audience on Facebook, and uh, all of you listening in, welcome to this webinar. Please uh, post your questions and we will hope to find time uh, to answer them. Okay, I have talked too much. Right now, I would like to ask James. James, go ahead, tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit uh, uh, about, oh, the other, the other, the other, the other, uh, the other, the other objective, I should say, or one of the outcomes we would like to have out of this uh, webinar is to inspire a, a, a young scientists out there who studied at a time when uh, genetic engineering was, you know, was the cutting edge and would like to understand more and perhaps even start to think about using gene editing in their research aspects. So all of you welcome. I, I have shared a lot of uh, links to people within Uganda, I hope even in other countries to come and listen in and get the feel of how other African scientists are using this technique. James, tell us uh, something inspiring about what you do, who you are, and briefly uh, about your work. Thanks. Thank you very much, uh, uh, Andrew. And uh, I'm James Karanja, working for Kenya Agriculture and Livestock Research Organization as a maize breeder. And uh, currently, I'm leading two major uh, key uh, projects. One is on the gene editing, where we are focusing on uh, using the tool to solve one of the challenges that our farmers are facing. And also, uh, the other project is also on maize, um, which is also focusing on the use of uh, current uh, on the today technology, that is the um, genetic engineering. Uh, from my the background, you can see it's maize. So it's all about maize, 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 maize. And um, the reason is because uh, if you look at the Kenya and Africa, uh, uh, as large community is driven by, and the economy is driven by agriculture. And looking at Kenya per se, we find that agriculture uh, is the driving key uh, in the economy. If you look at the employment, if you look at the food, if you look at also the nutrition level, so it's all about maize. And that's why when you come here in Kenya, we normally say that uh, when there is no maize, there is no food. As, and if you look at that, then you find much of the efforts is being taken to the food security. And uh, he has having talked about maize, you find that it has never been enough. So we always have deficit, we always have uh, 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 increasing demand, the population is increasing, the earth is shrinking. So the number of people who are doing the farming is also going down as a result. We find that, uh, yes, so many challenges and the maize is not enough. So uh, today we'll be talking about one of the technology that is trying to address one of the challenges that is making the country being food insecure and every time costing the country a lot of money to bridge the gap by importing this uh, staple crop uh, to 
feed the people. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, James. Um, over to Rose. Thank you so much, what, Andrew. What, 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 what inspires you to go to the lab every day there at, at, uh, at IIT in Nairobi? Um, so uh, while you were starting this chat, you mentioned young scientists working um, when this technology is cutting, the cutting edge technology is at stake. And um, that's me. I'm a graduate fellow at the International Institute of Tropical Agriculture. I work with Lena Tripathi. I think she's in the audience. Hi, Lena. And um, I work through a project that's funded under a FLAIR fellowship to my supervisor, Dr. Sam Wiruri. I think he's also in the audience. Hi, Sam. And uh, my project is funded by the Royal Society and the African Academy of Science. On my inspiration uh, to um, coming to the lab on a daily basis, I am Africa and Africa is me. I know that sounds a bit cliche, but um, I am currently working on um, an African crop, a tropical crop. And by the mere virtue that um, my work would uh, generally impact the African community, would generally impact um, the African people, is inspiration enough that um, my grandmother back in the village, that my mother uh, in her retirement years will be able to enjoy um, the products of, 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 of my research um, gives me just not enough, but more than enough um, inspiration to actually go to the lab every day. Um, I, I am not working on gene editing. Uh, my role in this, in this um, webinar is specifically to just give perspective of a young scientist on how gene editing can, can, can be used to, to advance um, um, crop research. And uh, I am more than happy to be here. Hmm. Thank you, Rose. You, you said very nice things there. Um, I, I was worried that you were not going to talk about any particular crop, but we will get you somehow. So you are working with more than just one crop because you are understanding uh, much much broader aspects of gene editing rather than very specific things. Is that correct? Well, uh, my my work is on on um, enhanced breeding in cassava, but um, oh, but this is through accelerated flowering, but it is not uh, gene editing. So as as per, as per the training uh, given to us on science communication, um, I I and my teammates were able to write an opinion piece on gene editing, and that advanced my my space in this um, very insightful webinar. Ah, thank you, fantastic. Um, yeah, John. Tell us, tell us about yourself and, 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 and what you're doing, John. Yes, good evening, good afternoon, and uh, good morning, wherever you are. I'm John Odipio, as you've been told. I work with NARO, and I, I'm based at uh, Namulonge. I work on uh, cassava. Cassava is the most important crop that feeds over uh, 800 million people in the world. And the Africa happens to produce over 50% of that cassava in the world. 
and the 70% of what is produced is consumed locally. I'm actually a product of uh, cassava consumption, production, and everything you can know about cassava. So what makes me happy to wake up every day is to uh, develop, to work with a team that develops uh, cassava that is acceptable to, to the end users. Particularly, I'm attached to a product, a, a project called Vika Plus, uh, headed by Dr. Taita Salichai, and is funded by is funded by Bill and Linda Gates, but through Donald and Cancer Center. Uh, so I'm in charge of uh, field operations that lead to uh, evaluation of the cassava that has been developed through one of the old uh, scientific techniques that is RNA interference. RNA interference, basically it's the technology that will train cassava plants to recognize virus and therefore fight. So it's more or less like a, a immunization system in, 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 in human beings. So in that project, uh, there have been a number of field, uh, field works. This is after lab-based breakthroughs were made. And since 2007, uh, I've been on that project. But in between, I had a chance to uh, leave for my PhD where I used knowledge that I gained during the field evaluation of these cassava plants. So this came up, I noted that cassava was flowering in very unequal way. And I always wondered why. So when I had a chance to start my PhD, uh, gene editing was already one of the uh, most talked about technologies. And therefore I chose to use gene editing to answer the question of why some of the cassava that I was evaluating in the field will not flower when the rest of the cultivars were capable of flowering. So this took me to develop a, a proof that you can actually use gene editing in cassava. And thereafter, I used the knowledge to answer the question of why there was no flowering in some of the cassava varieties. So uh, Having returned from Danfo Center where I did this work in St. Louis, I am now in the process of transferring the knowledge to, up to other crops and solve problems that may be uh, of interest to, to, to the country. Among those is also uh, using the knowledge to develop virus resistance to a number of crops. We've written a number of proposals and the uh, so far, no success, but uh, I've been able to make proof of concept. Also, in our own lab here in Namlonge, I now know that I can do gene editing here in Namlonge. So that's the brief information I can give about myself right now. Hello, Andrew. Ah, sorry, I had briefly muted my, my apologies. Thank you very much, John. You indeed talk about critical applications of, of gene editing. Perhaps a very quick question. Why, why, why did you decide to, 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 to focus on, on biotech for cassava and, 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 in specific, and specifically why, why gene editing? Yes, Andrew, uh, at the time when I started my, my PhD research, 
uh, we had, uh, as I said, other transgenic uh, biotech approaches, but these approaches will, will not help me to answer the question of uh, how and why no flowering, particularly the manner in which uh, gene editing makes me to, to be exact and very efficient in doing my works, convinced me to choose gene editing. So with gene editing, I'm able to make uh, changes within the genome of the organism that I'm working on. And these changes resemble uh, what will have been achieved with conventional approaches. Or in the end, I have products that will nearly resemble conventional approaches and their conventional, conventionally developed products, and therefore they shouldn't go through the long and costly process of uh, regulation. Ah, thank you. Thank you very much, John. Um, uh, James, tell us a little bit more about what you're working on right now and what challenges are you seeking to solve in the world of maize? Maize is an important food crop, not just in, in, in Kenya, maybe more, more in Kenya than in Uganda. Uh, but yeah, tell us, what, 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 are you, what are you seeking to achieve with this technology and what, what challenges are you uh, uh, facing? Uh, th th thank you very much, Andrew. And um, here we are looking at uh, how to increase the productivity in maize and uh, focusing and uh, to solve one of the challenges. We all know about the maize liver necrosis disease that uh, came about in Africa and uh, in East Africa, starting in Kenya. That is in 2012. So, and given that maize is the stable crop, uh, that uh, every family member depends on, uh, it caught everybody with a shock because this is a disease that uh, once it affects the maize, whichever the stage, you'll always have a loss. If it becomes early, the crop will dry and you'll not even get to cobbing. And even if it's come when the crop is at cobbing stage, then you end up having a lot of gaps, and uh, even if the maize had ready or the grains had already developed, they end up uh, rotting. So, as a result, so the question was, what is what is bringing this disease? And it was realized that uh, this disease is coming as a result of um, uh, a marriage between two viruses. One of the viruses is known to be uh, uh, present in the in, in Kenya, but the other one was not to be new. And maybe it was not new, but maybe because of the climate uh, change and the conducive uh, conditions, the two viruses decided to come together and coexist together. And as a result, they ended up giving us this uh, rhythm disease that is called the maize um, rhythm necrosis disease. Now, uh, as scientists, the, the first uh, question you ask yourself, how do you solve this? So we learn about all over getting what is already commercial, getting what is in the already in the gene bank, and evaluated and tried to get, is there any that can survive? And the unfortunate thing is that none that uh, turned or could uh, stand this disease. 
So as, and also as breeders, we start now thinking of how do you come up with a cruise that can uh, solve the situation. Remember here, the farmers are crying to the government and the government has, has a way to provide food to the community. So we had to get all the tools on the table and um, to try and get which is the best that can help us get a solution to this. And looking through, yes, breeding started as usual, but as we all know, breeding takes time. When, especially when you want a prompt uh, a solution, it's not easy because you are working with uh, a pool of, uh, we are working with a pool of trade. So, and this is why a team of scientists where we are talking about now the private and the public coming together. And in partnership, we decided, yes, let's go to the quickest tool. And this is the gene editing, which can help us get a solution as fast as possible. And uh, through the support of the Beer and Merida Gates Foundation, the CARO team, together with the private, uh, that is the Coteva team and the CIMIT team came and decided to use the gene editing uh, as a tool that can help us uh, get a solution to this. Remember here, two viruses coming together, synergizing together and working together to bring a disease. So the only way is to first of all, to understand how is this coming about? And as a result, that's where we decided to use the genetic engineering of the gene, gene, uh, gene editing to try and get this uh, solution. Not to prove, give new products, but what already the farmer is used to, what the farmer's rights, how do you go and improve on that without changing anything? That is the big advantage and the good thing about the technology. Andrew. Thank you very much, James. Uh, fantastic. I, uh, as you might know, I uh, was one of the teams that went out searching for uh, uh, the viruses in Kenya and, and, and when the outbreak happened and, and I'm happy to hear you guys are out there doing beautiful science to uh, understand the marriage between those two viruses. I will ask you some more, but now I want to uh, go to Rose. Rose, yes, very good. You are inspired to be a part of this new uh, genetic engineering evolution of, of uh, editing genes and, and, and uh, editing genomes and uh, bringing about uh, new characteristics uh, in the work that you're doing right now, what challenges do you meet? What challenges and uh, uh, do you encounter in, in, in your uh, fellowship at IITA? And uh, do you think gene editing could overcome some of these challenges? Um, yes, Andrew. I believe gene editing is, is quite a, a great tool um, to actually use in advancing uh, crop biotechnology. And my thought is um, 
based on the fact that um, the crop pathogens, what we call the viruses, the bacteria, the bugs, are evolving at a faster rate than how um, our plants are improving uh, through conventional breeding. We have had debates where people say, why don't you just let the crops um, happen naturally? But I mean, uh, the, 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 the clock in nature is favoring the superbugs more than our crops. So it becomes a challenge to try and go the conventional way of breeding um, when the bugs are, 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 are faster in evolving, when we have um, a rapid change in the climate. So um, definitely gene editing becomes uh, a tool of importance. And um, I believe it, 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 it is critical or very indispensable in actually addressing these challenges because of the specificity at which um, um, gene editing can, 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 can deal with these issues. I will use an example maybe in healthcare and then relate it to crops. Um, assuming that um, one is able to tell that they are blind because the genes that are responsible for sight um, are not expressed or are silenced, then using the gene editing technology, which works in a cut and paste fashion, um, other people like to call it the molecular scissors, then it is very easy to do a targeted um, improvement or a targeted cut and paste situation to alleviate the, um, the problem. So the same thing is what is applied in, 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 in crop biotechnology. Um, and luckily, um, research uh, replicates itself. Um, research over the years has been able to ascertain what specific genes are responsible for specific traits. And because um, we understand the traits we're trying to target and we know the genes that um, we are also trying to target, then it becomes um, a very essential um, technology to adopt so that there's a race against time. So yes, Andrew, I agree. Um, and I am actually championing for the adoption of, 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 of genome editing um, for crop improvement. Thank you, Rose, uh, fantastic. What would you tell uh, the, the young uh, scientists listening and watching you online now uh, um, to, to inspire them to, to, to get to understand and probably use this technology in their future research questions? Um, I would use the Kenyan perspective. And um, we, we, have, we have had um, regulatory issues, of course, when it comes to biotechnology and um, a number of um, drawbacks, especially when it comes to biotechnology. But um, I have seen the Kenyan space moving slowly but steadily towards the right direction in embracing biotechnology. And um, I will quote um, the CEO of the National Biosafety Authority. And he stated that we now have a regulatory draft that can be presented to wider stakeholders. And this gives a roadmap on how we want to regulate gene editing. This is, this is uh, music to any scientist's ears that the science you do will not just stay on the bench because of regulatory matters, that the science you do will go um, over and above to actually help 
the people it should help. So um, uh, using Kenya as a, as a marker for the rest of Africa, then this is an, uh, a technology you'd actually want to adopt. This is a technology you actually would want to embrace because as fast as it is, and the fact that um, the regulatory drawbacks are actually uh, happening in, in the favor of, of, of agricultural biotechnology, um, I think this is, this is the, the new bus to jump upon. This is the bus that is driving us to, to, to fighting um, food, food, um, food insecurity. So yes, why not jump aboard? Thank you. Thank you very much. You, you, you said it. Um, John, um, what, 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 uh, what favorable policies, what favorable policies do you think would allow you and, and, and all the research we are talking about right now to be commercialized, you know, so that, so that it reaches out to those who, who need it most, uh, not just us who are developing, but the farmers and the consumers out there. What, what would you say are the favorable policies that would require, uh, that would, would provide a, a, a proper road, a proper channel, a quick channel to, to deliver these technologies? And by the way, I think uh, in my opinion, technology for agricultural productivity needs to be bumped up because in the next uh, few months, we need to see how to recover from the, the pandemic and, and the losses that have been uh, incurred due to uh, pandemic restrictions. So favorable policies, John. Yes, thank you, Andrew. Uh, I have to begin by <clears throat> saying that I'm grateful for policies that have been in place that allowed us to do research and it's because of those policies that I talked about, having been involved in so many confined field trials to date, and we have really made progress. Some of the plans that we've been working on, we've been working on are now at advanced stage. What we need, what we needed yesterday is to have science-based policies that are not going to keep these plants in their such stations. We have proved that these uh, commodities that have been developed through uh, biotechnology are working and much better than uh, what you can expect. But because we do not have a science-based law that allows us to commercialize, that allows farmers to grow and test these varieties themselves, we have just remained like nothing is taking place in the research stations. So I therefore call upon the policymakers that they shouldn't wait for too long. They just need to go ahead. As Kenya has already shown a good example, and also as Nigeria has done, they need to put in place policies that allow for commercialization of these products. And over years, it has been proved that uh, biotech products that were developed over decades ago are still as safe as those developed using commercial, using conventional approaches. So I'm really encouraging the policymakers to ensure that we have these laws as soon as possible so that these commodities can go out to 
the farmers and other end users. We we have a couple of questions from the chat from the chat, and ah. we appreciate all of our audiences for sending those questions. So uh, maybe I could take one of them. Uh, can other traits be improved that would add consumer value, like cooking qualities or traits that improve household use? Is gender responsiveness needed when making traits prioritization as well? I'm guessing anyone could take this question. Uh, Modesta, please pinpoint at someone. So, I guess uh, since the gender perspective is here, Rose, you might want to address that. It says, can other traits be improved that would add consumer values like cooking qualities or traits that improve household use? And also, is gender responsiveness needed when making traits prioritization as well? Um, okay. So I will start with the gender question first. If is gender responsive, responsiveness needed when making trait prioritization? Um, for sure, um, definitely this is, um, I mean, it, it's a key factor. And um, I think um, scientists have been advised um, that when bringing a new technology, it is good to actually uh, involve the farmers, the, the stakeholders from the get-go um, on, on your technology. So. We definitely have most African households being led by women, and we have most countries actually pushing for affirmative action. Then, of course, the gender aspect uh, plays a key role in, um, in, 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 in trait improvement, because we do not want to address a trait that is actually not a problem. Because sometimes, as a scientist, I might say, maybe this banana needs to be big. But the woman in her kitchen actually thinks, no, I need them smaller. So I might make a big banana which needs more chopping up or a big piece of cassava which needs more chopping up. So definitely gender responsiveness is, is key when, um, when prioritizing your, your, your trade development. Then can other traits be improved that would add consumer value? Um, I will refer to my previous statement on um, so long as the genes that um, are responsible for specific traits are known, um, whatever improvements can be made. I don't think anything is impossible with science. Um, there have been uh, some crops that have been domesticated by reducing maybe the toxin levels in, in them um, and made them more palatable for humans. So I think um, uh, consumer value is uh, definitely, I mean, um, Consumer value um, is, is, is definitely something that can be improved uh, using biotechnology. Um, maybe John can tell us more about that when it comes to cassava or maybe gems with maize, because I'm not very yes. crop specific. Yes, Rose, thank you. You, you have rightly said it. In cassava breeding and improvement in general, uh, farmers are involved and one of the things they go up for is the cooking quality. They usually select cultivars that they will be convenient, that qualities that will be convenient for them to work with. And among such is the issues to do with the bitterness, as you said. So by the time we come to use these quality, uh, these cultivars, all varieties for lab-based improvement using biotechnology, 
these cooking qualities are already part of the cultivar we're dealing with. So one of such examples is uh, a group that is currently working to reduce the level of toxic cyanide or understanding uh, how it is important in a cassava or what may happen when we leave it there is using gene editing, but they are using cultivars that already with farmers out there that they like so much. So it's true that we can use, uh, we can improve cooking qualities using these biotech approaches. And uh, by the time we get these varieties, issues of gender responsiveness have already been taken care of. Andrew, back to you. Yes, yes, uh, thank you. Um, uh, yes, there is another question in the in the, in the chat, uh, but I think that uh, this can be answered directly by uh, by typing, which 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 I will do. But I would like to uh, you know give the microphone to to James and say James. Uh, John told us uh, about uh, favorable policies. I, I want to ask you the same question in your, you know, in your environment, or let me say in your, in your policy jurisdiction, what, what would you like to see? Uh, maize is very important in, in Kenya and very important in East Africa. You are developing a technology that would improve maize as a staple crop uh, for food security. Do you think the policies under which you are operating are favorable enough for you to deliver this technology. Uh, yeah, uh, tell us, tell us what, what do you think about the policy environment you are in and what recommendations would you have? Yeah, yeah. Th thank you, John. And um, yeah, uh, as Rose has already said that um, in Kenya, and uh, I say kudos to the regulatory agencies in Kenya. So our regulator, uh, that is the National Biosafety Authority, have already developed some guidelines and uh, we are looking forward to have the guidelines uh, approved so that we can use them uh, in um, uh, doing the application so that we can bring these products on the table uh, as quick as possible. Um, and um, it's, a, it, uh, it's, it's we, what we look at is that uh, these guidelines, or these regulations uh, should be favorable to the uh, to the scientists. Uh, and in one way is that uh, so the first question is should the what should be regulated or what should not be regulated. And uh, I like the idea of early consultation. With the early consultation, you'll be able to decide what do we need to regulate and what don't we need to regulate. With that then what is need not to be regulated, you can see it will get to the process very fast and get to the market very fast. But on the other side, what also we should also like to see is the, that harmonious working together of the regulators. So we don't want, maybe we don't want to foresee that a certain regulator says, yes, go this direction. And then when you get, start moving, by the time you get to deliver the product, another one says, no, you need to go this. We want to see, or we would like to see that teamwork of the regulators so that, uh, uh, so that uh, 
by the time we are getting the product out, then we don't have to have those delays uh, because of maybe one or two things. So maybe and this one can be done maybe through joint evaluation. Maybe when you do the application, that's a consultation. There is joint evaluation. There is that um, 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 consultation between the two. The inspection is also done together so that we don't want to see a feedback that we say, yes, we like the, the technology, we can see the benefits of the technology, but by the end of the day, you find that we have some the policies that are also restrictive to the uh, delivering of, 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 of this um, technology, of, of, of the product that we have already talked about. So we, we, um, we are looking forward as scientists that uh, working together with the regulators having that trust by the regulators that scientists cannot do things that are uh, against or they are unethical. So we are not here to fulfill our desires, but we are here for the good of the country and we are for the good for everyone. We need that trust between the science and um, the, the regulators and also everybody coming together including also the other stakeholders and that are consultation engaging the farmers and all that so that when we have that product nobody questions nobody says this is your product but all of us by the end of the day we say this is our product okay um thank you thank you james um yeah um yeah, now I can see Modesta has, uh, has come yes. up. Modesta, do we have you, do you want to? We have a yes, couple of questions too in the chat. So we'd like to take them yeah. before we go back yes, to the final question. So Mark Ed asks, what do you think would be the most important crop improvement problem we should address with gene editing for African farmers? And I think this could go to either John or James. Let me take it up. Yes, uh, thank you, Modesta. Uh, crops suffer from a number of problems. Some of those are due to pests and others are due to uh, diseases and we also have uh, issues to do with the climate change. Gene editing gives us uh, the flexibility to do several things at once within a shorter time and in a very efficient way. So with enabling environment, we can use gene editing to develop crops that are going to be more resistant to the changing disease and pest situations occasioned by the changing climate. So we can do all this at once and it will be able to happen within a much shorter time than it will have been if we use the conventional approach. An example at hand is uh, uh, in tomatoes. Uh, scientists have been able to combine many traits in a single research attempt and have been able to develop tomato that has never been seen before. These tomatoes yield more, they produce within a certain period of time and they, they are more tasty and more resistant than 
a conventional uh, improvement scientists will be able to achieve within the same period of time. So these are some of the things that we can be able to do with gene editing. So I will go for traits like uh, uh, resistance to pests and diseases, and also tolerance to changing climatic conditions in this time of, of, of climate change. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful answer, John. And for want of time, we'd like to go ahead to answer one more question or two. Um, Dennis asked, don't you think this technology can influence the antimicrobial peptide in plants? What is the negative and positive aspects of this technique? Maybe I could, I could throw that out to James. Yeah. Thank you very much, Modest, and thank you for the question. So as um, we have earlier said uh, that uh, any technology that comes on the table and uh, looking at where we have come from, so we have always survived on improvement. And um, if you look at from the time of the domestication of the, of the crops and the animals, so technology has been always been involved. And uh, I think now we are in the world of where now we are talking about the modern technologies, for example, the gene editing. And uh, this is helping us to tackle the things as we want, uh, depending because nobody knows what is there in the future. And that is why we're talking about of the good policies, good principles, good guidance, and all this to look at the, all the issues to do with the safety. Because by the end of the day, scientists or ourselves, we must balance between what do we want to make, what is, are we there to save our desires, are we there to, what are we holding for the future generations? So with this, with the guideline, guideline of the policies and also with the guidelines of good regulations, then we are able to look at all this, looking at all the issues to do with this looking at the things that are also foreseen. And this one can only be understood if we are allowed, if we are allowed to do the research and this research is also guided by the principles and the policies and the good uh, guidelines. With all this, then we can be able to make sure that uh, the product that we are bringing or the goods that we are bringing they do not have any other impact. And scientists, technologies that they are using are very specific. So we target what we want. So we are not doing like now gene, like now gene editing. You cannot just do random edits because we know with random edits, you can end up having some others or things that you didn't anticipate. So the gene editing is helping us to move very precise and with ease, with the raw resources and making sure that you only work on the region, on the traits that you are of interest. Thank you, James, for that wonderful approach to that question. I guess we could take one last before I hand over to Andrew to conclude the moderating. Um, Anuska asked a question on if gene editing technology can be used to develop a crop containing improved med medicinal properties. Uh, Rose, do you want to take that? Um, yes, I would like to take that. Um, 
yes, that can be done, but it is not. It is a yes and no answer at the same time, because here we need to ask what are medicinal properties. We have crops that naturally have phytochemicals with medicinal properties. So, if let's say maybe you, because we we have seen situations where we we, we will introduce um, maybe pro vitamin A into crops like cassava that naturally maybe do not have um, uh, the carotenoids. And um, unless we're looking at a situation where we want a crop to produce phytochemicals that maybe are in another crop and the gene is known, then that is um, inherently possible. Also, um, there have been uh, discussions and I think also um, research that looks at, uh, that's looking to produce something we call edible vaccines. So, this should be probably a marriage between animal and human science and at the same time plant science. Um, so there, there is definitely potential towards this. And um, I would say, yes, it is potentially possible to do that. Um, whether there is research published showcasing that having been done, I personally am not aware unless uh, my fellow panelists know of any, but uh, for sure it is, it is a possibility. Over to you, Andrew. Hi, thank you, Rose. Um, yes, uh, thank you, uh, pan, uh, uh, um, attendees and, and participants for, for those wonderful questions and the panelists for, for engaging them. I'm sure a few more are coming up, but uh, let, me just, uh, let me just ask uh, one, one question uh, to, to you. Rose, again, I'm, I'm sorry that you are the one who has just been speaking, but I prepared this for you. What, what, what would you think? What would you think is uh, is uh, the value, or, or would you think that Africa should embrace uh, the gene revolution uh, as uh, and and and? What, what, what needs to be done to facilitate you know, its wider use in, uh, in, in Africa? Um, do I think that Africa should embrace the gene technology? Mm. Definitely, mm. yes. Mm -hmm. um, to improve this um, in an African setting, I think uh, we need to, to work on a few things. Number one is bureaucracies. Um, just like you are asking about the policies. Uh, if we have favorable policies, then definitely science is doable. Um, gene editing, as cost-effective as it is, also um, is not a very cheap technology. And we know most countries in, in Africa are, um, we call them developing countries. So uh, this requires funding. Um, so if there's funding, then we will have facilities to conduct this kind of research. Then um, I would say yes, for, for sure, if there's improved funding into, into research, then this would actually help accelerate um, adoption of this technology. And then um, the governments. If we would have the governments push this agenda that, um, that science and technology is as important as politics in our continent, and uh, have uh, government institutions and have universities um, actually push for even very small short courses and training on gene editing. 
because um, I can say for most of us, me included, we, um, I learned about gene editing in the lab, not in the university. So maybe right now those who are in the university are hearing about it. It would be prudent to, to have them um, go through short courses on, on gene editing so that um, this technology is advanced beyond um, the walls of, 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 of research institutions. And um, above everything, I think it would be um, also very helpful to have sessions like what we have today, where we, we communicate science to the general public, to our families, to, to an unscientific audience, so that the information is out there. So if we could have more scientists um, uh, being the torchbearers of this technology, communicating it uh, and, and, and uh, making it, um, making it um, like in a situation that it is no longer news to the general public, then yes, it, it, it actually helps um, advance this technology. So um, I think in a nutshell, uh, that's it for me to see how we can advance this. Thank you. Thank, you. Thank you, Rose. Uh, James, James, I'm going to fire you exactly the same question. Well, what do you think we should do? Uh, what, thing, what, what should be done for, for the gene revolution to take over and fly in Africa? Uh, thank you, Andrew. I, I think uh, for us, uh, maybe to start with, uh, as a scientist, we, we believe that uh, the gene editing is the future of science information. And uh, the reason of saying this is that uh, it, is, it is one of the technology that is, allow, is allowing the scientists to work on specifically to their wants and to what the our clients wants, and here we are talking maybe about the farmers, maybe may nutrition-wise or yield-wise or the disease-resistant, pest-resistant, and so on. And uh, it's, it, gene editing is, Andrew, is not a new thing because all of us, it's only that um, I, I think uh, we, we don't look things in detail because if you look at all of us right now, we, we are working on computers. And uh, if I ask anyone, so how do you edit a sentence? If you want to end it a sentence, how do you do it? You just need to place that cancer where you, you with the cancer, you place where you want to edit. And then you either you delete or you add something. That is exactly what gene editing is doing. If you cut back in our old age, before this era of now, everything is now um, advanced. When we used to have those uh, codes, uh, when your cloth was torn or it was big, what you did you used to do? You used maybe to, if it's too big, you cut it and then you squeeze it together, you piece it together. If there is a, a, a hole or something, you get another material and you put it there. That is all what used to be done. And exactly that is also what I understand trying to do. So, but what do we need? What we need is to have those, the regulatory processes we need to change. We need to see things in a positive way. That good perceptions about the technology. So looking at what policies do we have? Right now we are talking about most countries, they have the, the, um, the, the GMO regulations, all of them guided by the Katagina protocol. Maybe it is high time we go back to the Katagina protocol per se and look at it and see 
what is there within the Cartagena protocol that also is favoring the gene editing so that we don't go back to the or to the start again, start developing things. So how do we do this? And again, how do we do the communication? How do we avoid the mixes between the GMO and the gene editing? And when we have this product, how are these going to coexist together? So we should not create a, a platform where we can say, maybe we say uh, that uh, we segregate maybe the market. This is for gene edited product. This is for GMO and this is for conventional. No, we should allow all of them to be uh, to be existing together so that we do not create that, we don't widen that gap between uh, that person who is using a touch screen and that person who is using uh, um, uh, the, the smartphone and that one using yeah. the, the, the kebab, the way we call it in Kenya. The main <laughs> message is all of us, what is, do we want? Yeah. We want to communicate. This is what Thank all you. the Africans should look at. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, James. Thank you, James. I, I, we have only two minutes left. I want to give John one of these minutes. John, in one minute, uh, tell us what, what, what's, what's the most important thing that we should do uh, for gene revolution to have uh, impact in Africa, in, in Africa in, 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 general, in general terms, so that uh, that, that uh, gives us a way forward from this webinar. Next time, we'll probably talk about yeah, those aspects of ensuring that the technology does benefit Africa. John. Yes, thank you, Andrew. I will go straight. I think African countries need to invest in research. Generally, they need to increase the budget allocation from their GDP, GDPs towards uh, scientific exploration. That way we'll be able to have the brains that can do uh, advanced science, including gene editing themselves. And also we need to have uh, increased collaboration with people who are already doing it better. In addition, we have to create awareness and stop uh, the negative and restrictive mindsets that do not make us to accept what already works elsewhere. And uh, I think also what we need to have in place is uh, uh, motivation. Scientists need to be motivated so that the other Non-scientists don't look at science as a uh, basically a lost battle. Another thing that we need to do is uh, to ensure that uh, we relax the laws a bit. First of all, we need to have these laws in place to allow research and commercialization, but they should not be too costly and restrictive. That's what I can say. Thank you. Thank you, John. I, I think those are, are fantastic uh, issues. I would like to uh, hand this uh, chair back to Modesta to give us uh, one or two last words before we actually close up our webinar. Thank you very much, Alliance for Science, and thank you very much for all the attendees. It's been a pleasure to be the moderator of this webinar. Modesta. Thank you so much, Andrew. That was a great session. And thank you all to our panelists. Thank you to John, Rose, and James. This was quite fascinating. And we also have lots of questions on both the chats and on Facebook mm. Live, but unfortunately we can't uh, take everything today. Uh, our panelists will be happy to go on Facebook and address some of yes. your questions there. So thank you for your wonderful participation and see you next time. Thanks everyone. Thank you. Bye-bye.